Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. Hey, how are you doing? Before we get started today, I do have a favor to ask of all of you. I did start a channel over on YouTube in the last year, year and a half or so. And yeah, I'm really trying to promote that. And the reason being is I think the content that I'm putting out here, you know, we're doing all right with some of these guests that are coming on. And I think it deserves to be put in front of more people. And one of the best ways, of course, of doing that is through a platform like YouTube. Now, if you do interact with these videos on YouTube, that algorithm loves it. And that's the only way that it knows to continually share that content, put it in front of more people. So yeah, I could be a little bit biased here, but I think, you know, finding out about some of these careers is great for young people. It's great for mid-career professionals. If you have a second, head on over to YouTube, life as a dot dot. That's where you can find it. And yeah, like or subscribe. It would help a ton. Well, on to the show. To all those aspiring entrepreneurs out there, or heck, even people who are just looking for a boost of motivation, perhaps even inspiration, I think you're really going to like this episode. I've got this guest today who started this passion-based business, something that he'd always been kind of longing to do and thinking about. But the thing is here is, aside from it becoming this really, really successful operation, he's doing it in a market other than where he grew up. In fact, in a market where he doesn't even speak the main language there all that well, self-admittedly speaking. So I think that really kind of colors this and gives us this really interesting angle to, uh, to explore it all from. And I've got to add, I mean, the business that he's involved with is just fun to talk about. What he does is he produces and manufactures, you know, camper vans. You know, probably you're thinking like those old 1960s VWs touring across the nation, across countries. Yeah, kind of like that with a modern Japanese twist. So yeah, the conversation itself, we get into all of that, what that is like, you know, some of the trials and tribulations, some of the reward, and a lot of other interesting and engaging stories. But let me more formally introduce them to you and we can get started. Jared Campion is a man on a mission as the founder of Dream Drive, a Tokyo-based company that builds homes on wheels or premium camper vans. He's passionate about providing travelers with everything they need to explore Japan on their own terms. Now, located on the outskirts of Tokyo, Dream Drive's full-scale workshop offers a variety of camper van models to choose from. But what really sets them apart is their commitment to Japanese craftsmanship, resulting in spacious modern designs and cutting-edge technology that have quickly earned the company a reputation as a disruptor in the local market. Further, each camper van is carefully crafted by hand to provide a unique character and personality that you won't find in mass-produced ready-made products. Now, rewinding a bit here, Jared's passion for van life was born out of a lifetime of adventure and appreciation for the outdoors, split between formative years spent in the UK and Australia. And when he moved to Japan, he was struck by the country's natural beauty safety, and of course, I mean, the wonderful hot spring culture, but was kind of surprised to find that van life culture was severely underdeveloped. 
And it was kind of this realization that sparked the idea for his company. Japan had all the makings of a successful camper van culture. It simply needed the means. Enter Jared and his enterprise, Dream Drive. So with all that stated, here's my conversation with Jared Campion. Yeah, so welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, well, thanks. How are you doing yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I mean, I got to say right out of the gate here, I'm definitely, definitely a big fan of the work that you do. I mean, I've got this sort of like secret dream. I guess it's not going to be so much of a secret now, but uh, one day, you know, maybe having one of these things that, that you produce these camper vans. So yeah, really excited for this talk and uh, yeah, I couldn't be more thrilled to get into it with you. Uh, thanks for inviting me on, Chris. Well, I've got this first segment lined up and it's something called Coloring Wikipedia. As my listeners know, it's basically a segment. I just read off a definition of what the person does or sometimes like a word associated with the line of work that they're involved with or their business. And I have you down here for van life. And I know it's, it's a broad sort of concept here, but obviously it's, it's fitting for what you do. And uh, let me just read that off. And afterwards, maybe you just comment, add your insights. Does it sound okay? Sounds great. Let's do it. Alrighty, here we go. Van life. Van life is a lifestyle of living in a vehicle, full or part-time. The names are compound words that derive from the fact that it's typically done in a van that has been modified with basic amenities such as house batteries, solar panels, a bed platform, some form of toilet, sink, and storage space. Some van dwellers live this lifestyle by choice while seeking freedom, self-sufficiency, and mobility without paying for conventional stationary housing. An idealized version has been popularized through social media with the hashtag van life. Yeah, a bit of a mouthful. First take, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's cool. I think van life has given fresh, you know, uh, uh, points to a very old industry of RVs and motorhomes, which has yeah. been around since I grew up with it as a child. And I think it's just for younger generation uh, seeing the potential of building a way of living inside a vehicle and then taking it anywhere they want to go. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's great. A, a lot of the vehicles we're building are not for people to live in, although we do have people live in the vehicles. But I think uh, I think van life is a great phrase, and I think it's it's really it's a way it's a way of life, and people live this way, especially great great nomads for a while. So it's not going anywhere. I think too. So yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And I like I like how right at the gate you mentioned like the historical aspect to it as well i mean it, it has been around for for ages i mean like i have like just imagery of an old vw you know like what that meant in the 60s right and yeah. uh you know yeah and, like um, you said there's a lifestyle attached to all of that back in the day and it's interesting how it's been like reinvented and you know new lifestyles and new ways of living attached to the modern version i love to look at the uh history of it too because you've got like gypsies who who have um for years been traveling around with uh, caravans pulled by horses uh, my family background's actually gypsy background so like for generations no living that way like hence campion yeah and uh and if you look at the when, when the vehicles came about and even if you look at volkswagen camper van like the iconic like camper vans they did that, that came about after the war after world war ii british officer in germany and they were looking forward to do these big factories and, and he he wanted to customize a little bed kit into one of those buses. And then from there, it became this huge movement uh, in the 60s. But yeah, they've been making these things for years and uh, yeah, and they've been super popular. So yeah, it's just, it's not, not everybody has had such a, an opportunity to have one. 
but now it's becoming more commonplace and more people are finding ways to do it, even if it's just putting a bed in the back of the car. Uh, there's lots of ways to, uh, expensive and cheap to experience that lifestyle. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. And like I said before, too, I mean, it's interesting how in the past, maybe it attached itself, the lifestyle attached itself to a movement, say within the 60s, a little bit more free and, you know, just kind of going around. But now, like where we're at and this whole rise of remote work and everything else, I mean, it's sort of been at least in Western culture, you're seeing it being attached to that to a certain degree, you know, and and a bunch of other things, too. But uh, yeah, nonetheless, pretty fascinating. All the same. It's a lot of potential. Yeah, yeah. Kind of shifting over now in terms of van life within Japan, the cultural sort of element to it. You know, I'm guessing here that there are some differences. And uh, we're probably going to get into this in the conversation. But, you know, broadly speaking, what would would you say to that? I think, first of all, Japan's got a bigger history of camper van making and manufacturing than people expect. For example, there's more camper vans or motorhomes made in Japan than are made in Australia, which is a famous market for camper vans and motorhomes. Um, wow, so that does sort of yeah so there's a lot of manufacturers i mean if you think about uh, i should say like australia is famous for caravans or trailers and it's okay, far yeah. out competing in japan where there's few trailers made in japan but when it comes to motorhomes and caravans it's a massive market it's been around for a while but there are a few key differences like generally japan's a place which has got narrow tight streets they're not looking to do these massive rigs that you'll see in america also, the, there's onsen or bathhouses all over, um, so it doesn't. There's not as much need to have a bathroom inside the vehicle. Also, a lot of the vehicles they produce here aren't so tall, especially when it comes to van. Um, so there's not much standing room inside, which isn't actually a big problem when people actually use a van. But when people are choosing one, they like to imagine themselves standing up. Um, but uh, so you have to. We're kind of manufacturing with the products we've got here. Um, but Japan makes a lot of great uh, vehicles, if it's Toyotas or Fusos, Isuzus, um, Nissans, uh, vans and trucks. So there's lots of great platforms to build upon. And a lot of makers are very creative. One maker might make 30 different uh, varieties of camper van. And, uh, and yeah, so there's lots of different options and weird and wonderful sizes and there is a popular following for the camper vans from Japan overseas too. People are starting to export them over to other markets as well. So yeah, so it's a, it's the vehicles are different. They're very compact. Uh, they're very much about using, making the most of a small space um, by changing or transforming the space inside from eating to sleeping to dining to workstation nowadays. More people doing uh, work on the road. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of flexibility in in the designs here to make the most of a tiny space. So yeah, they're pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, and I'd imagine as well. I mean, it's just one partly the uh, Japanese craftsmanship as well. I mean, that's always a bit of you know an allure to to foreign buyers. I would assume to you, I mean, the reliability and, and whatnot. But then even beyond that, like just as you said, I mean, the the size being a little more compact, like within say Western markets and say within America, like you have these massive, massive motorhomes. That yeah. come with massive, massive price tags too, right? Like, you know, that's a big difference versus, say, what's being produced here. Like, it makes it more on, you know, a level at which, you know, just about anyone, well, almost anyone could eventually perhaps, you know, save up for one of these things or, or purchase one. So I think that also sort of distinguishes it, I would assume at least. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's it's becoming interesting too. Like my parents have two camper vans, for example. They're retired and let's say they have different sizes for different uh, 
different kind of adventures. Uh, and and yeah. yeah, you have the American size with the big pullouts, and it's basically a house. Uh, yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah, basically a house on wheels. And then you've got, but they, they still like the compact ones. If it, it kind of limits where you can go. You're very much limited to go to like uh, RV parks, which are getting busy nowadays because it's become such a big thing. Some places they have to book a year out um, to, to get these places to get a spot. Uh, so yeah, it's all. If, if people want freedom and flexibility, then the smaller size ones get let them kind of, you know, travel where they want to go on a whim or follow follow nice weather. I'm really excited to see how the market's going to develop in the future and see what we can do as a Japanese manufacturer, which is now starting to get into export uh, of the products overseas. So I, I think there's we're really excited to see what where the what the future has in store for us. So yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, maybe we could slide into another segment here, uh, a day in the life segment. And, uh, you know, as the name implies here, you know, you being the person who's kind of like heading all of this up, I understand that you do have a partner, but it's like interesting to hear, you know, what your role is right now and how it's evolved since a you know, startup when you first put it into the market and, uh, and, and what you're involved with right now as far as day to day or week to week sort of activities. Yeah, sure. I mean, from the start, like we started by doing, I started by bait making the first camper van uh, in my driveway and then just the first one. And I hired some people who made the next one and I was focused on building the rental business and hiring. I mean, a lot of it's been hiring people and I start something and make a maybe make a style or a brand or like, and then get somebody in to come and manage it and develop it. Uh, and then, and then getting into manufacturing uh, and hiring like more skilled carpenters. And my role always evolves o- over time. But like, I think one of my, my background has been in recruitment in Japan. I was a recruiter for a lot of the time before doing this. I don't really have a camper van industry background before starting Dream Drive. So I'm naturally always looking for good people to bring on the business. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and uh, and 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 so forth. So yeah, now now I'm in a it's an interesting moment right now. I'm looking over the yeah new products we're developing, uh, looking af- over the marketing. We're at the, this point like I'm, we're shutting down the rental service, uh, which we we started as a rental business. So I, I'm actually personally just managing that because we don't want to hire somebody to do that role anymore so i'm I'm kind of just uh dealing with the final customers in, in that as that as that uh winds down uh and my other big focus is now personally looking over how we're going to start up um australia and new zealand so finding uh if sometimes it starts very small me doing it hands-on and then getting someone them into that role and then allowing them just to take it forward from there so yeah it's definitely uh yeah. So in terms of a day to day, it's always it's always very different. I don't lots of different hats. Yeah, lots of different hats. Um, and I've, I've, I'm putting someone in charge now, the operations person. So I'm not as I, I was always involved in everything. Now I'm a little bit more CEO. I would be a CEO without having yeah, to be managing it. So, like it sounds ridiculous to say that for a 25 person company. <laughs> but like, no, 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 no. But, I hear you. but also my my. Um, like my uh, language abilities aren't great. Like I, I do, I can speak Japanese, but I slow everything down and I make to make everyone go at my speed. So I'm I'm kind of trying to, uh, and sometimes there's miscommunications. So I'm trying to step away a little bit from the day-to-day uh, operations of that so I can focus more on the future and how we're going to grow things moving forward. Well, it sounds like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but like 
at least initially, and for like a lot of businesses, I guess when you're starting out, when you're the, the first person in the business, right? And it's a startup, you're doing just about everything. And yeah. you're setting the processes for, you know, laying that groundwork for others if the thing does evolve to that point, right? And the right. way you just sort of described it like that would seem to be the path that Dream Drive has been on, where you're wearing all these different hats, you're doing a bit of the marketing, you're doing a bit of the operations, you're doing a bit of the yeah. sales and service. And uh, once those things get established, then the processes are there. It becomes easier to bring somebody on and say, okay, well, this is how we do it. Yeah, I think that's a big difference between startup and like a corporation because like I don't think a CEO of a corporation would ever do that or get their hands, it's like beneath them. But like if you start the company, and I think that's the, the hard thing to adapt from is going from being the founder who does everything to then starting to be to be like looking out more. And it's definitely a hard transition for me. It is, yeah. Uh, so I'm always tempted just to do it, uh, which is actually not always the right thing to do. But um, you know, it's, I mean, uh, I'm taking, I'm taking, um, I'm taking my time with it and figuring, figuring it out. But uh, yeah, but we, we've got, some, we've got a bunch of plates. We, we were spinning like lots of different things. We're now trying to simplify to like be a high quality manufacturer of camper vans uh, and, and focus on that. And so yeah, it's a bit of. It can be a bit of a mess as you're trying to uh, solve it out. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're really part of the journey, the direction. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's slide into another segment here, Jared. Something called Pathways. And the aim here is to kind of show how people, you know, get into their businesses, they get into their line of work. And oftentimes, like, there's never this straight linear line. Like, that's kind of the, the point of this segment here. People are kind of zigging and zagging, left hand turns, right hand turns. And off the top, I lightly introduced the listeners like how you made your way into the Japanese market. And I've researched that a little bit myself, you know, the stories behind that. But I think it'd be interesting to, to hear a little bit more from you about sure. that. What, how did you end up in Japan? Why and how did you or why did you decide to, to set up shop here in terms of doing this particular line of business? Yeah, so I was a, I came here on a working holiday visa, which is an option for Australians. So we can come here and with no real agenda and just work for a year and do teaching. And I did various jobs as a teacher. I did like, like, uh, as in TV commercials, like background person, just having fun for a year. And I was here with my wife, who's Australian too. And, uh, yeah, we ended up just extending that, uh, visa and staying on and, uh, doing very, is kind of a gap year, which became like a longer term gap decade, I guess. Yeah, uh, you don't have to tell me. I'm, I'm on the one year going on 20 year, 20, 25 yeah. year plan. So yeah, I know. Well, a lot of, this. I think a lot of people <laughs> who come to, like a lot of people come to Japan and they stay here because they love Japan. So it's not always, it's not always the best career move. I think like it's, uh, we try and justify the career of what keeps us in Japan after. Right. after but like, um, I think for me around, um, I had children. My oldest is my oldest is twelve. I've got three kids now, and around that point, I had to make more money. Uh, my wife was making; uh, she was teaching English, making more than I was. I had to quadruple my salary, um, so I became a recruiter, which is in Tokyo like a pretty common uh, path pathway. Yeah, it's the other big one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It teaching is huge. It and teaching can be really good if, if especially if people start their own company, they can they can do really well from that. And I've got friends who make like more than I do, um, just just like by opening a few schools. And so so yeah, so I I, I was in I was in recruitment, um, and from doing that, I was working in advertising industry, and I really loved the advertising industry. I wanted to work in the advertising industry, 
I did do some projects or work in mark, kind of within market research a bit, uh, doing doing some marketing, and I realized it was something I hadn't had the giftings for uh, and could do. And then I had a you know I was looking to build my own business. I just had that knack where I, I wanted to make things happen or build something, and I was building a technology company around recruitment solely because I'd done recruitment. It made sense that I was a recruiter. I'm going to build software around recruitment. Your base um, knowledge, of course. Yeah. yeah. And we built this software. This is like an AI for like recruitment or something. And um, it was, it did well. We had, we had Amazon as a client. We, we were doing stuff. Things were happening. Lots of uh, mistakes made in how I set that business up or like how I set expectations with team. But, uh, but, you know, it also made me realize like, well, if you focus on something and take it super seriously, you can make it a success. And also I realized, well, I thought at that point, well, you can also raise money for stuff too. And, you know, and I thought like, like, what is it that I really want to do? Like forget about like recruitment or what I've done. Recruitment is something I, I basically did because in Japan and I was gifted for it. But like I grew up with camper vans. I loved camper vans from a young age. And I really felt like Japan would be a great place to build a camper van business. So I thought, well, I may as well just do exactly what I want to do for once and see how I go. And I, I think I had the idea for a long time. Uh, it was in the back of my mind. I was talking about it with people and I couldn't shake it. I really think having an idea that you think is is interesting and will make it and you believe in it and you talk about it and no one can talk you out of it. Or, or they try and, and you you can they're not talking you out of it because you've got good comebacks <laughs> or like yeah a, yeah you, you talk it into existence don't you yeah I'm always worried about giving advice because I think sometimes people can be really stubborn about ideas just because they want to do something and it, you know it can it can waste time and you know it cannot always end up what that end up well but I think if you've really got some a passion inside of you and you want to give it a shot there's no you got to give it you got to try it. But I started really small. We made a, I made a website and tested the concept. And then I made the first one of my family vehicle. And then uh, I raised a bit of money based on the ideas I had from, and, and I, I took in investment from people I worked with in the past or who knew me. And then each thing led to another thing. Uh, and it got bigger and bigger. And we had real customers starting to take our vehicles out and trying them, people from overseas renting them. So it's all like little, little steps. Staged. Yeah, and for me, the the big the big shock was when Corona hit and we lost our rental business, and I made a decision just to keep going, and that was a really stupid uh, decision, uh, in a, in a way, like it was a big risk. We didn't have a rental business anymore, but I had built a small, like manufacturing business. We we could sell for rental cars. We made a commitment. Screw it. Let's just become a manufacturer. Design something. Uh, we had the resources then, so it's like we were starting again. But luckily, people loved the concept, and yeah, it, it it kind of led to us being where we're at now. Yeah, which is in many ways, it was like a roller coaster ride because, like, once you're in this business, you're in, and you've got to deliver on those vehicles you sold. So it gets bigger, the business gets bigger and bigger, and that's like manufacturing businesses that can, it can just get, it just gets, they just get big, and, and but it's. I think it's a great industry to work in. I love making things. I think the, you know, in many ways, like I love working with Japanese craftsmen. They're just so reliable and they deliver. So it, like them delivering on the quality has meant that more people want to order it. So it's been a snowball, but a good snowball, which is I'm very happy to be like running on top of, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it. It sounds like it's been staged and it's been like those steps, right? From those baby steps, at least initially. And then you just keep building. You, you pick up a little bit more knowledge here. You get a little bit more in the way of resources, you know, connections, yeah. networks, customers. And it just sort of, like you said, snowballs is probably the right word for it. Yeah, and it's a real business too. Like it's not something you can't you can't really fake manufacturing because it's it's not like software where you can raise some money and but like it's manufacturing, there's so much things at stake. You've really got to like deliver uh on each product on each timeline. Um so it's a very like down-to-earth kind of uh business, um, which which uh kind of rewarding in that way. Not only that, I mean like Japanese consumers are, are- known for for being a little bit finicky and the the products that you put into the market they better meet expectations because otherwise like they're, they're not going to be accepted they're not going to be successful so i think it's always a bit of a mark when especially when foreign-led enterprises are entering into the japanese market and not only launching here but then having you know a degree of success or sustained success it kind of really tells a lot you know I, I, at least from my opinion of being well it's, it, it's actually interesting on that point like so i've been meeting a lot of people in manufacturing and uh, people that build products and so forth I, I was talking to a guy recently about a british company which supplies like um, parts which go in cars and they have manufacturing in japan a lot of the japanese companies here want them to manufacture parts locally so we can do just in time so near one of their factories and they can pick up the products and put them That's in. That's right in, yeah. yeah. And and uh, the, the this company, like they manufacture in the UK, they manufacture in Japan and their quality in Japan is way better. Even though it's like a newer factory, it's not being around, the quality is way way higher quality, uh, but it's not always as fast. And I think that that's their issue because like the Japanese craftsmen will pride themselves on delivering a great product every time. And then it's like getting the speed up, which is uh, which is a, uh, challenge for for the uh for for us um so there's about there's a balance uh but like yeah a lot of manufacturing companies who end up manufacturing japan the product just naturally gets better and has high quality so it's as then the question is how can you like toyota does take that like style of manufacturing and then manufacture in thailand or other markets as well which is like the secret sauce in a way all right. Well, this might be a nice time to, to sort of like get into this other segment, a Q&A discovery and kind of continue this back and forth. But you'd mentioned this already as far as like the details of what your business is all about. I mean, you use major manufacturers like Toyota, Nissan as the platform for these camper vans, right? And then you you customize and you build from that. But maybe you could add a little bit more detail about that process and and, and what your true offering is, just, just to make sure that's crystal clear for listeners. Yeah, sure. So we generally convert, um, take a brand new Toyota um, high-ace camper van, uh, which is stripped down. So we get it unregistered straight from Toyota. We have a special relationship uh, with them. And then we modify the inside. We do insulation. We put in wiring, wire harnesses. Uh, We put in the flooring, the walls, the electrical system, the uh, water systems, and then we also cut into the body and might install an air conditioner or a fan. And yeah, and then we, there's also exterior aesthetics, like obviously changing wheels, maybe uh, repainting the exterior. Just generally uh, what we're doing is basically building like a, uh, it's like we have a skeleton and we, we change uh, everything from inside. So that's a bit generally what we do. But for if we're exporting a product, we can't export brand new ones because of uh, um, it's something that's controlled. So we need to get one-year-old vehicles uh, and then do the same thing. Um, so when it comes to export, we might not do a brand new one. 
Um, but generally we're doing brand new, brand new products. Uh, we, in the past, we've also done, um, built the frames as well in the past. So we, we've gone through that and tried it. And uh, we've also done truck based campers. We did a big project with Mitsubishi Fuso last year called the Nomad, which uh, was a crazy build of a transformer type truck. Um, so yeah, and, and various other ones for brands like Koala, we've built some special, um, or more built some special camper vans. But yeah, it's uh, generally doing van conversion, basically. So, really quick question here. I mean, it strikes me as a bit, I don't know, surprising or odd to a certain extent that some of these big manufacturers aren't doing this. They don't have lines, or maybe they do. They're just not doing it in the same way that you're doing it. Oh, they do. So yeah, no. Um, like Toyota does make some. Um, well, I mean, Toyota. Uh, it's japan so it's like massive organization umbrella with lots of different yeah pieces in it companies and yeah. Stuff, yeah so one of like toyota mobility does do some builds in in tokyo but it's like one like camper van is such a it's like a house it's like it's hard to build a brand of there's going to be a few makers and a lot of people want the specialty ones and like toyota toyota's um what they're making is very um basic so it, it, some people like it but it's not competing with what we're we're doing. But we we do have competition, like as a more serious camper van product, like end of a business. But yeah, it's um yeah, it's it's kind of it's more stock, I guess. Like it's just it's one sort of flavor, basically, is what they're yeah. producing. Yeah. Whereas what yeah, I mean, you're putting out there is fully customized. Like you you can choose this 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 or to have this, not to have it. Would that be yeah. sort of yeah. accurate? Yes, like you're, and it's also more of a like a, a serious vehicle you could use for like extended trips. Um, and sometimes what they're putting is just basically, I mean, Mercedes does this with the Marco Polo. It's uh, the seats go flat, and there might be an attachment for a table, but it's 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 a very basic um, few features. We'll see. I I mean, in who knows what happens in the future? To um, we might even go into more uh, as things get bigger as our dealership network expands you know we're looking at like what else can we do what other things can we offer or so i mean i think that that goes there's opportunities on both sides of that but yeah i think i think makers like toyota have to be careful but they're thinking too like they've got a lot of partners or any, any truck or van company they usually want to focus on a few products and they make money from us buying their vehicles and converting them to but usually they want to keep that help keep a good health like a uh, relationship with uh, manufacturers uh so yeah so anyway another question here i'd be curious about and you i think you did touch on this already lately about i guess some of the differences say within the japanese market versus say camper van lifestyle within western markets you know some of the amenities some of the things some of the builds that you would have you know i think you you mentioned how like and i can attest to this too i mean japan you have this wonderful hot spring culture you have public restrooms everywhere so that would sort of like you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily need like the the, the toilets and, and, you know, maybe even sinks to a certain extent within the camper vans themselves, whereas maybe within Western markets, those would be, you know, things that you would absolutely have in there. Is there anything else that would sort of separate the, the van, say, within European markets or North American markets versus what? Well, I think one of the, the big difference in Japan is they try and put a lot more into a small van. So they might have a small highest van and they'll have nine seats and they try and sleep makes beds for like eight people so it's like really um sardines like 
I love a time where a customer would have one, they're looking for one vehicle, which they can use daily driver, take their kids around and then go camping. So they try and just fit more in. Where the European ones, it might have a, it might be a two seater and it's a big van. Uh, where here, there's like no way they're going to buy that size that a vehicle that size without having at least like five six seats. So you, know, you usually it's about packing more into a small space, um, which is kind of interesting to people from overseas when they buy it. So wow, look at what all these things we can do with a small vehicle. It's got the features of like a bigger one, but it's so compact, easy to drive, cheap on gas on on gas and so forth. So yeah, I think that's a big one. Okay, so it would also sort of like encapsulate that idea where I think you just said where in Japan they envision it as like a daily drive, like they could be like you yeah. said picking up their kids and you know using it for for just everyday things. Whereas like maybe in these Western markets where it's more like this is for camping, this yeah. is what we yeah. do on the weekends or in the summer or whenever you know when we have time off. Is is it kind of it's that line as well? Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah, got it, got it. This other question here, I guess, like getting back to this notion of building this business, I'd imagine like it must have been a bit daunting, at least initially. And there was probably some trepidation of, you know, am I going to do this or not? I mean, the passion was clearly there, as you sort of mentioned. But like when push came to shove, I'd be curious about where you were at mentally. Where like, can I pull this off? Like, what is is this like? You know, am I going to be able to to, to get this thing off the ground and, and, and moving forward? Maybe we could return to, to those sort of feelings as well, like that entrepreneurial sort of, you know, memory or, or, or journey. I think for me, this was my, like, from being in Japan this long and I wanted to do something which I felt would be, like, um, gave me a reason to be in Japan, like something which is, like, uh, made, like, you combining Japanese craftsmanship with, like, uh, the vehicle, the amazing vehicles and, you know, and for me, this was, like, my big... Like I wanted to give it a real sh- like one time. I just wanted to put, go all in on an idea and really see like what would happen. And yeah, so for me, I, I kind of signed up knowing this is going to be like a a lot of uh, hard work <laughs> and uh, uh, and 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 yeah, I think it was a good bet in in many ways. Like uh, a lot in some you know the industry is expanding. It's it's getting better um but yeah my mental state was really i guess i was looking for something um and i, I think i had a lot of things i wanted to prove and you know and i, I think now looking back at bookending the mental state i also think it's like yeah i think you have to be really careful about like what how much you, you bite <laughs> off to uh like uh you know because it's it is like you have to be careful about making sure you get good sleep and you've been healthy and I think I've yeah, always, yeah. I think it's so important try trying to be, you know, fruitful in all things at all times. Like trying to make sure you've got good sleep, good time with your family, good uh, time to relax. Um, I think you definitely get that a sense of accomplishment from work. Yeah, I think like for, and sometimes if you look at my photos, sometimes I'm getting a bit more. My weight's coming on a little bit. You know, <laughs> Stress, so. the pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's something like people don't, I don't think people understand the challenges uh, which come across when you, when you do it, but there's a lot of rewards. I'm, I'm so happy I did what I did. I'm also so lucky. There's been a few times in the past when it was really sketchy. I mean, recently we've been expanding, we've been growing, things have been good. We've learned a lot, but we've learned a lot from our mistakes. And yeah, and like Corona put us in a really difficult situation. Um, so it's like some some mistakes are like 
it's just like you're just dealing with a new re- reality. So yeah, it can definitely take it can definitely um take its toll. I, I think I think it's good to try at least do it at least once. Like in the future, I don't know. I don't know if in the future I would take on something like that again. I'm happy to be in the place we are now with with a business. Yeah, yeah, it's a time and place sort of thing, isn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I also kind of like in when I was just listening to you, you speak about this, I kind of get the vibes that you are in that sort of like reflective state right now, where you can kind of look back on it and be like, well, you know, this was really difficult. This was a challenging moment. And I think that says something because oftentimes, like, I think it's easy to kind of just get caught up in the moment, you know, of like, okay, what's next? What's next? What do I have to do next? What do I have to do next? And if you can kind of like catch yourself, whether you're, you know, a professional working for a company or an entrepreneur like yourself and you, you, you stop, you pause, <laughs> you kind of look back for a second, like, okay, well, that was a challenge. That was difficult. But then also the reward that kind of came out of it. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, you can derive a lot of satisfaction from that. And that's the other part of what I'm sort of like getting from this conversation from you is you, you have sort of both sides of that where like, yeah, you can recognize some of the difficulties that you did face, but then also like what that has meant to you in terms of how you're feeling right now in this, you know? Well, I think for me, like when I started the business of Dream Drive, I really wanted it to become a big business and like be a manufacturer, like and sell vehicles overseas. So it's a bigger, it's a bigger goal than just me in a way. And like, that's my priorities to make it bigger, make it better. Um, yeah. so Is that still the dream? I mean, to yeah. make it as big as it can be? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. But not necessarily for me always to be like in the driver's seat in that way. Like I think as a, as, as like a, as a mission of what dream drive is and where I want it to go, uh, I think that's what it should be. And I, I want to see it like go, go as far as it can. It's like, there's a book, I think it's called the founder's dilemma, uh, where when, when you found a business, it's so hard for you to separate yourself from it. And you're always it's your baby. Yeah. You're in there and like, you're worried about all the different pieces, but like an, an analogy I got from my last boss, I used to work for Dominic Carter was like, there's like a business is like a movie. Like you've got directors, stars, and you've got executive producers. The producer comes up with a vision of this is what we want to do. This is what I make. And you get to choose a director. And then the director gets to kind of, if, if, you, if you get Wes Anderson as your director, you know what, you, you know what movie is going to be. You can't expect him to make like a Marvel movie. And also stars are di- very different in like they, they've got what they want. You know, they've got all those things. I, I think when you first start a company, you're all, you're all of those people. You have to do all those different jobs. Over time, you kind of move. Like I, I started a business, I'm a founder. I'm ultimately, the executive producer in a way where I get to like maybe decide who's the director. But it's really hard to let go and let them direct. And I think that's like you you kind of got to like you get to choose the best person for it, but you got to give people freedom to make it better. And that's something I think like if you want to make it a great movie, uh, which gets bigger and better or goes on to sequels and becomes a big thing. I think that's what I'm now trying to figure out. Like, okay, here's here's where I want this to go. Here's uh here's what I'm good at and what my abilities are. And like like maybe concept in vehicles, understanding the market, looking over different places. So then it's about figuring out what directors you get inside the business to like uh, do it, and and then how how to keep up. You know, sometimes you got to jump in and be like re like, as an executive producer, you got like change things, right? Like you might lose a director when you do that. So it's definitely a it's for but for me like Dream Drive being what it is. Like we've got we've got like a. 25 we're going to be 30 in a few in a few weeks uh people like it's a lot of lives and people like who i love who are like really great craftsmen 
and really skilled, like gifted people. Um, so it's like they, I, I want I want them to get big, better lives and 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 things to get better too. Um, and I think that's like the big thing I really want to do in Japan moving forward is really change the lives of the uh, ordinary craftsmen who work for us and give them a better life. Because I think that's something that's kind of missing in Japan is is the uh, the respect and the love for the craftsmen uh, who are, who are so gifted. They can kind of get exploited a lot. Uh, I just made to go faster, faster, faster. But like, I was lucky enough to grow up in in the UK at like a in a small town of Utoxita, which had like UK's most successful manufacturer, JCB, which is an excavator company, similar to Caterpillar. And it it like my family all worked there, and they changed the lives of all those people who worked there. They paid well, uh, they had good work life balance, and that that the whole town prospered, and people were coming into our town from the cities or bussing in from the cities around the area. And I really felt like that's a view of what a great manufacturer can do. And yeah, I kind of want to create that kind of atmosphere in the future and, and deliver more camper vans. And I think if we can keep those growing, growing for sales and like uh, distribution globally and creating great jobs and looking after craftsmen so we can hire more people, if we do those two things well, then Dream Drive's doing what I want it to do. And I'll find my place within that to make sure that it keeps doing that. But yeah. I hear you. I, I really like that. I mean, I love that. You know, it speaks to that point of maturity as well as you go through the stages. And like when you first start a company, you have like these visions of this is what I want out of it. And then as you get into it further, it sort of like evolves. It's interesting. I think like the whole world of entrepreneurship where the the deeper you get into it, the more successful you become, the more you're almost like giving yeah. back. And that becomes like a bigger part of it or it's just as important part of like the success that you're deriving from it, you know? And I think that's the, the point that yeah. you were speaking of Absolutely. right there. But, uh, all right. Well, this might be a nice point to uh, to shift on over into this water cooler story segment. And this is a point at which I just sort of ask, uh, you know, uh, guests to indulge listeners with the story related to their work. I mean, it could be anything. It could be a story of triumph. It could be a story of... Or wherever you want to go with this. That's a hard one. I, I think like, if I think of heartache, I really think about when we had like the rental business and everything was uh, going going great. And um, we had people, we, our calendar was starting to book out of like people taking dates and we were expanding our workshop and everything. And then Corona hit and we refunded everybody, which is like in some ways stupid, but like I always, I just felt that was the right thing to do like just to do it but then we had like we were in a really bad spot for us personally that was like one of the tough moments where we made that decision to keep going keep trying because like it was either bankrupt the business or you may as well keep going at that point <laughs> like you know and see what else you can yeah, do yeah, like, you yeah exactly really, right like you, you can't really do that in japan like it, it affects everything it affects my house and like you, it's not like it's not like one of donald trump's businesses where, which can go bankrupt and he's fine like in Japan, like you're done. Yeah, you're, you're tied, tied in. in. Uh, so I think like uh, it. Yeah, that was really that was really hard. And uh, we we also we we kept a, like we managed to start hiring Japanese craftsmen at that point. So we actually hired more people because we couldn't find good craftsmen before that. But suddenly companies were letting uh, good employees go at that time too. So we managed to hire a couple of really good guys, and we thought like let's let's see what happens you know um so that was a lot of that was really hard and at that point i was somebody who would never show 
emotion or like let people know or talk about it. I just kept it all inside and kept going and, and figured it out. That was really hard. And then it is it, you kind of just suppose that with right now when we've got the markets back, the rent, the like lots of customers coming from overseas. And I'm I'm dealing with those customers still uh, as I keep the team focused on selling and and manufacturing. And today we had another customer from Singapore who's just saying this is the most amazing experience. We love it. Uh, and I can't believe you guys are showing us down, <laughs> but like we're now just we're showing it down anyway. So it's like we have the opportunity, we have all the customers, we have super busy business, and we're shutting down a successful rental business to focus on on the uh, things. So I think I think that's like a really um, it's really weird to see like why and many parts of me hates that we're shutting this down, but I know it's reasons like shut, why why would you shut down a good business that people love it's a sign of like the business maturing right and it's just a strategic decision you know obviously yeah. and uh yeah it says it says a lot of i guess the, the stage of where you're at yeah. i suppose right like if you're you're still struggling in the early days i mean you certainly wouldn't be doing something like that but you reach this point in maturity or the business does itself well yeah you kind of you're able to take those liberties and and make these strategic decisions even though that in the moment you're like oh i don't know if yeah. it's the right one but uh yeah, yeah. You, you built it at this point and you've had some success or you know, quite a bit of success so yeah you, and you i think like another way. interesting story how we uh how we got our venue um because i i built like the first camper van at my house um just outside uh, i'll send you some pictures and uh we just like we did i didn't know where to build it i didn't have space i didn't i just wanted to test the concept so i just did it at my house uh, I asked the neighbors, I went to one of the neighbors, told them what I'm doing. They thought it was kind of fun. They're like, go for it. And uh, they love they that I wanted to do it. I've got good neighbors. Um, and we built the first vehicle. And then when I needed more, I needed space to find, uh, build the next vehicle. And I couldn't build up my house. I needed more space. So I went door knocking around the local neighborhood. And uh, if you park a car in Japan, you have to park it within two kilometers of your house. Um, so I had like a two kilometer circle drawn out and I was just walking around uh, and I found this light commercial building area and I just knocked on the door, the big red door. And and um, in my limited Japanese, I was trying to explain what I was looking for, <laughs> I wanted land for. And it was so lucky that we got this small, um, uh, we just wanted a car park where we could build and make a bit of noise. And it just happened to have two car parks next to a small uh, small workshop kind of building. Uh, and he gave me a great price. And that's where we still are. We thought we had moved out by now, but we took more and more land around the same area. And now we're renovating it all and building upon it and putting in shifts and everything. So it's just like, uh, it's cool how if you maintain good relationships, like you can kind of keep building upon it and make something bigger and bigger. So And it's a great relationship. This guy happens to speak English. Uh, he, he travels around in camper van himself. Yeah, so it's very lucky just to show, like, uh, you know, just to show the passion of what we're trying to do. I, I went in with a pitch deck, <laughs> like, and it really worked with him. And I think leading with a pitch deck and, like, the passion and this is what we want to build, it can, it can kind of really work uh, wonders because then that's why, he, that's why we got the land. He loved the concept, you know. So There you go. Bit of serendipity in there, too, it yeah. sounds like, yeah. Well, why don't we shift into this last segment here, Jared? Uh, crystal ball segment, as the name implies, we're looking towards the future. It's usually trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And it sounds like, I mean, the, the company itself, you know, we've, we've heard a bit about, you know, like the path that it's on right now, where you're going, you know, looking to shut down the rental side and focusing just on the manufacturing and uh, all are, you know, marks of a successful business. 
So I kind of like to take this question, this last question here, in the direction of like where the industry is going. I mean, certainly we're, we're looking at things like EVs yeah. now entering the market, and obviously that's going to change things up a little bit you know, down the line within, say, the next five years. Autonomous vehicles as well. You know, I'd, I'd be curious about the, the chatter that you're picking up on and how that might affect you know, your business or present new opportunities. Yeah, great question. I, I feel like the EV and autonomous driving uh, capabilities on vehicles is going to have a profound effect on how people live in the future. If you juxtapose that with the fact that accommodation is so expensive in places like America and in uh, Canada, UK, Australia, people can't afford to buy houses. They're saying, how are we ever going to afford to buy a place? And van life is an option for many of these young people now where and, and when they try it out, they love it. And also, if you look at the gray nomads in America, like like grandparents, your your parents maybe, uh, when they retire, what do they do? They buy a big RV and they go traveling around, right? So it's um it's kind of I don't want to get into the my backgrounds, my uh like ancestors are gypsies, right? So they've always kind of traveled that way and 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 moved around that way and uh, it's a way of life that people love and, and enjoy um i'm not saying it's the only way or like for everybody but like it's definitely a fun adventure kind of lifestyle so i i feel like ev having a large battery makes air conditioning easy um and more solar charges or sol or charge charging points means that um air conditioning can kind of run from anywhere and you can use the air conditioner, which comes with a vehicle as well. Um, like it doesn't take that much of a draw of a Tesla's battery to run the air conditioning all night. So there's so much potential here. I, I could I feel like the big the big thing I'm seeing, which people aren't talking about, I feel, is that people I feel like the payments for RVs are gonna look more like mortgages in the future where people will be taking out those kind of loans and insurance packages to have their primary residence. Uh, in, in an RV motorhome. And that's kind of how we want to think when we're thinking about making products. Uh, the next step then is to think about how's that going to, how, where are you going to park it? What kind of like co-living, co-working relationships and different points could you do around that? A lot of this is like early dream drive stuff I had on the deck from like five years ago, uh, which I've just been talking about the whole time. But I, I feel like we're moving towards, and that's the kind of a future on the products which I would like to focus on building uh, towards in the future and I, I i also really feel like being able to make electric vehicles is kind of leveling the playing field a little bit it's really hard now to make to do what tesla has done but it's definitely affecting the whole industry and in the future i believe that's going to get easier and easier to do and just yeah and i feel there'll be a lot a lot of different product opportunities so yeah we can't wait we've built electric camper vans in the past we've built a few based on nissan env based vehicles but yeah, we'd love to do more of that, do larger vehicles, and I think like uh, and build towards that future. So I feel I feel it's going to become more of a uh, more of a way of life for more people. And if you package it with like schooling in different areas, there's ways there's there's ways we could envision to do this. And there's examples of it uh, in the world now. If you look at canal boat systems in in Europe, we have more and and communities and different kind of. Uh, uh, kind of repurposing what already exists in many places uh, um, into like a new way of life. But um, yeah, 
I think it's uh, really exciting what what that's uh, the possibilities from EV and autonomous driving and yeah yeah no doubt no doubt and it's interesting how we're kind of circling back to how we started you know like the the Wikipedia definition and it's attached to lifestyles that you just brought up you know that point again you know like yeah who knows you know who knows where it's going to go but these uh kind of hints that we're getting in other markets or you know some of the the, the vehicles that are coming out right now are kind of giving up these like indications of where it could go and uh yeah it definitely does sound exciting and most definitely exciting for a company like yours that's you know poised to really capitalize on all of it once uh you know it all the markets mature to that point sure. so yeah this might be a nice point in the uh, the conversation to, to, to draw things to a close but i've got to say jared i mean really really insightful conversation i can't thank you enough for you know all the insights that you shared today i think people are really gonna enjoy this and hopefully you know, go check out, uh, you know, what you offer. It's certainly got me hooked and uh, I'm sure quite a few others. Thanks so much for making time, Christopher, and great to catch up with this and uh, yeah, hope to talk to you again in the future. So, Well, for those interested in learning more about Jared and his company, Dream Drive, you can check him out at his company website. You can also find him on platforms like LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and even has a YouTube channel as well. And for reference, all the links to these things that I'm speaking about will be in the show notes. And if you happen to like today's show, please be sure to tell a friend and share. You can also rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcast. And like I said, off the top, I mean, I would really, really appreciate you visiting the YouTube channel. I do have video portions of the conversation, kind of like highlights of the talk, and there'll also be some imagery associated with the talk itself in there. So you can head on over there, and if you do, a like or subscribe would be wholly, wholly appreciated. Finally, don't forget to tune into the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living. Mm-hmm.